My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Natalie Drolet. Migrant workers are people from other countries, most commonly countries in the Global South, who are admitted to Canada for a limited period of time purely to work, under legal conditions that give them far fewer rights than workers who are permanent residents or citizens. The details of how that works have varied over time and are moderately different from program to program today, yet certain central elements are common across most classes of migrant workers and haven't changed a whole lot in decades. The admission of a migrant worker to Canada is tied to them maintaining employment with one specific employer. If they are no longer in that job, they can be deported, so they don't have the option that most workers have of quitting and finding a new job when faced with a terrible boss. Many migrant workers have no right at all to apply for permanent residency even after their term of employment, and those that do must meet strict requirements. Both of these things give employers tremendous power over the lives of migrant workers. As well, their jobs are often covered by fewer employment protections than most workers in Canada. When they arrive, they have no way to know what rights and resources they are entitled to, and even in circumstances where they are protected under the law, the great power in the hands of employers means that, in practice, it can be very difficult to have those rights respected and enforced. As today's guest discusses, migrant workers are very vulnerable to abuse and exploitation. Moreover, to even get the jobs in the first place, migrant workers are generally dependent on a recruiter to connect them with an employer in Canada. Migrant workers are commonly defrauded by recruiters, and even when fraud isn't an issue, it's often prohibitively expensive, and many migrant workers have to pay huge sums of money, often going into considerable debt, to get their very low-wage job in Canada. Natalie Drolet is the executive director and staff lawyer for the Migrant Workers Centre, BC. The centre is a non-profit organisation that provides free legal assistance to migrant workers in British Columbia and public education about related issues. They also engage in various kinds of advocacy to improve migration and labour policy for migrant workers. The organization has been around since 1986, when it was founded by two law students at the University of British Columbia. From the beginning, the majority of its board of directors have always been current and former migrant workers. Originally, the group was called the West Coast Domestic Workers Association, and it focused specifically on migrant domestic workers, who are mostly women, in the current era mostly from the Philippines, whose positions in Canada involve caring for children or older adults. Today, however, the Centre's mandate encompasses all classes of migrant workers. Key demands from the organization have always included open work permits, which would not be tied to a specific employer, and accessible pathways to permanent residency. The current rules, which allow some migrant domestic workers to apply for permanent residency, are set to expire in November 2019. It's not clear what the federal Liberal government intends to replace them with, 
So the center is currently advocating for a new program with open work permits and permanent residency for all caregivers. They've also been very active in pushing the NDP government in BC to strengthen provisions in a variety of contexts related to migrant workers. They're particularly pleased that the province passed legislation in late 2018 that will more tightly govern recruiters and help prevent fraud, and the center expects to be busy as the associated regulations roll out in 2019. The center also sometimes takes up particular legal cases in ways meant to contribute to broader change, as with a recent instance where they worked on a case with two caregivers who were challenging the fact that they were regularly paid for only eight hours of their 24-hour shifts. I speak with Drolet about the work of the Migrant Workers Center BC and about what they're doing to push for change to unjust immigration and labor policies. My name is Natalie Drolet. I'm the Executive Director and Staff Lawyer with the Migrant Workers Center in Vancouver, British Columbia. The Migrant Workers Center is a nonprofit organization that provides free legal assistance to migrant workers in British Columbia and also works to advance fair immigration policy and improve labor standards for migrant workers. There are different categories of migrant workers who come to Canada. There is the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, which is one program under which I believe around 80,000 migrant workers came to Canada last year. And the Temporary Foreign Worker Program has different streams. It has the high-skilled or the high-wage stream, it has the low-wage stream, and then it has the primary agricultural stream. Most of the migrant workers who are coming under the Temporary Foreign Worker Program are working in lower-wage, lower-skilled jobs. A large amount of them are coming in to work in agriculture. So this would be, you know, working in rural areas, on farms, picking fruits and vegetables. And then in addition to that, we have low-wage categories coming in to work in restaurants, to work in the service industry, in hospitality and food processing and construction. By and large, the migrant workers who are coming to work in the lower-wage jobs are from developing countries such as the Philippines, Mexico, Jamaica, Guatemala, India, Sri Lanka. And then the workers who are coming in under the high-wage stream, they may face problems with their employment, but they're not as vulnerable because they're not making you know, minimum wage or very low wages. And those high-skilled workers generally tend to come from the United States or the UK and some of the more developed countries. The Migrant Workers Centre was founded as the West Coast Domestic Workers Association in 1986 by two law students at University of British Columbia. At the time, they were doing research about some of the challenges and problems that live-in caregivers were facing in their employment in BC, and they saw a real need for those caregivers to have access to information about their rights and access to legal advocacy services so that they could obtain the help that they need to deal with the employment problems that they were facing. Living caregivers at the time didn't have a choice. They had to live in the home of their employers. And having that close relationship, living in a private home with your employer, often resulted in abuses. You know, having to work long hours, up to, you know, 18 hours a day in some cases, being on call 24-7, just a lot of abuses. And so the organization for the last 32 years has continued to assist mainly caregivers who are still coming to Canada under the Temporary Foreign Worker Program. But in recent years, we have expanded 
our services to help other migrant workers as well because they were facing many of the same problems that caregivers were facing in their employment. And a lot of this is due to the fact that migrant workers come to Canada with a work permit that only allows them to work for one single employer in a single location and in a single job. And so if they want to change employers, if the employment relationship is not working out for them or if they're experiencing any kind of exploitation or abuse, they don't have the same labor market mobility as permanent residents and Canadians do. They face great difficulty if they want to leave an employer. So this power imbalance really creates a structure and an environment where we see a lot of exploitation of migrant workers in our country. Our core activities include providing direct legal services to individual migrant workers. We can meet with migrant workers one-on-one and provide them with advice and represent them for different kinds of applications that they wish to make or to file different kinds of complaints should they experience any abuse or exploitation in their workplace. In addition, we do a lot of public legal education workshops. So we travel around the province on a regular basis. We also provide biweekly workshops out of our office in Vancouver to migrant workers. We help living caregivers understand the process to apply for permanent residency through these workshops, and we educate workers about their legal rights in employment standards, their human rights under the Human Rights Code, and their rights to a healthy and safe workplace according to occupational health and safety laws. And thirdly, we also advocate on behalf of our members. We advocate for more fair immigration policy as well as improved labor standards for migrant workers. Talk more about the public legal education component of your work. Well, the goal of our public legal education work is to provide migrant workers with information about their basic legal rights in British Columbia as they work here as migrant workers. So we inform them about their employment rights, what the minimum standards of employment are in British Columbia. We help them to understand their employment contracts and the rights that they hold under those contracts their human rights, and options for filing complaints or asserting their rights as well. We find that this is really critical because migrant workers are not provided with any information whatsoever about their rights when they come to Canada. They land at the airport and they're not provided any information. There's no services at the airport to provide them, you know, with a pamphlet. They don't get anything from the Canada Border Services Agency. They don't know where to turn for help in case they need it because they're not provided with that information by the Canadian government. And so we find that it can sometimes take months or even years after a worker has been in Canada to find out about our services. By the nature of the program itself, their employment is governed by the law, by immigration law. It's very complex because you have different jurisdictions involved. You have immigration, which is federal, and then you have employment, which is provincial. And just trying to navigate what laws apply to people, what rights they have can be quite complicated. And so we try to fill the gap that essentially the government has left by leaving migrant workers on their own and not providing them with the supports that they really need. So given that there's no obligation for employers to let migrant workers know about resources and that the government doesn't do it, how do migrant workers generally find out about and connect with you? The migrant workers who connect with us often do so through word of mouth. We serve a lot of workers from the Filipino community because of our long history assisting caregivers, and about 85% of caregivers come from the Philippines. 
So often they find out through word of mouth, through friends, family, other caregivers that they meet, you know, when they go to the park with the children that they're taking care of, for instance. We also get referrals from community partners, so settlement agencies that we partner with, as well as a wide variety of government agencies. We also get referrals from the BC Office to Combat Trafficking for cases of labour trafficking. What kinds of advocacy is the Migrant Workers Centre involved in? We are involved in a number of different advocacy initiatives. We are currently advocating at the federal level for an improved caregiver program. In February, the Immigration Minister announced that the caregiver pathways that currently exist to permanent residency for caregivers is coming to an end next November, so November of 2019. And this announcement sort of came out of the blue. The pathways that allow some caregivers to become permanent residents was brought in by the Harper government back in 2014. And at the time, nobody was informed that this would only be a five-year program. And then we learned earlier this year that it could not be extended because it was brought in by way of ministerial instructions, which has a five-year time limit. And so it took a lot of people by surprise because there are a number of caregivers who are working in Canada now. And there are caregivers who continue to come to Canada to work who will not be able to apply for permanent residency under the current pathways, and the government hasn't announced what is going to replace them. And so this has left numerous caregivers in limbo who don't know if they will be able to have the opportunity to become permanent residents after completing the requirements of the program. We are advocating for an improved program that would First of all, allow caregivers to come to Canada with open work permits instead of work permits that tie them to one employer. Because as we've seen in our decades of experience, the fact that caregivers and other migrant workers receive a work permit that ties them to one employer means that essentially their status in Canada is tied to an employer. So they're really at the employer's mercy if they want to continue working here or if they want to eventually apply for permanent residency because there is a work requirement. That really creates a power imbalance where we see pretty widespread abuses of people under these programs. And so we're advocating for open work permits and for pathways to permanent residency for all caregivers. The pathways that came into being in 2014 actually restricted caregivers' ability to become permanent residents because they imposed higher educational and language requirements. So we would like to see those taken out and we'd like to see all migrant workers have the opportunity to become permanent residents. From what I understand, some of the key demands made by migrant workers' organizations in Canada have been pretty consistent for a long time. What's your sense of what the main barriers have been to winning those demands? The demands for open work permits and pathways to permanent residency for all migrant workers have been long-standing demands. I think that there's just been a lack of political will to enact changes that would result in a fair and humane temporary foreign worker program. I think that there is a strong employer lobby. Employers insist that they absolutely require the temporary foreign worker program, that they require workers who are tied to them. Without having workers tied to them, they say there is no guarantee that that worker is going to continue working for them. Our response to that is that if you're offering someone a decent job and following the work contract and treating people well, they will continue to work. And so that is concerning to us. 
the government is aware that there are abuses under the program. In 2016, the Standing Committee on Human Resources, Skills and Social Development and Persons with Disabilities conducted a study of the Temporary Foreign Worker Program and in its report actually recommended that the government eliminate the practice of issuing employer-specific work permits to migrant workers due to the potential for abuse under that program. And the government has decided not to follow through with that recommendation. Instead, they have decided to put resources towards trying to inform workers about their rights in different ways. And we'll see if any of those projects come to fruition. They have given money towards setting up a migrant worker support network pilot project in BC, which was launched in October, but we have yet to really see any results. We are involved with it. However, it's very clear that the government is only really interested in improving access to information about migrant workers' rights rather than making the structural changes to the program that would prevent abuse and exploitation to begin with. When it comes to advocacy, what's the Migrant Workers' Center's process like in terms of how you come up with your demands and how you actually do the work to influence laws and policies? The Migrant Workers Centre Board of Directors is comprised of a majority of migrant workers or former migrant workers. And so migrant workers essentially run the organization. That has been the case since the beginning. The reasoning behind that is to ensure that the organization continues to respond to the concerns of migrant workers and that migrant workers are really the voice of the organization. So at a governance level, our organization is run by and for migrant workers. We also have committees that work on different aspects of the organization. And one of them, the membership committee, works with our members to look at what the opportunities are for engagement with politicians, engagement with issues. And generally speaking, what we will do is we will look for opportunities to provide, you know, briefs or written submissions to different government bodies if studies are being done on different subjects that are relevant to migrant workers. So, for instance, in BC, at the provincial level, we provided submissions to the Fair Wages Commission, to the BC Human Rights Commission study, to the BC Labour Code Review And then we also launched a campaign uh, a couple of years ago called Rising Up Against Unjust Recruitment because we had been seeing so many cases of migrant workers who are being, you know, ripped off when they get recruited for a job in Canada. They often pay exorbitant, ridiculous recruitment fees. It can be as high as $30,000 just for the privilege of getting connected with an employer in BC, often to work in a minimum wage job. Often these recruiters are also immigration consultants working in a dual role, providing immigration services, but then also connecting people with employers in Canada, which they need to have an employer lined up before they can even apply for the work authorization to come here. We've been seeing this happening for years and years, and so we wanted to address that issue. And this is a success story for us because when the NDP government came into power, we saw an opportunity there to really build relationships with the new government and particularly with the Minister of Labour around these issues. 
he was open to meeting with us, and we provided him with written submissions, with model legislation that would better protect migrant workers from fraud in their recruitment and having to pay illegal recruitment fees based on models that already existed in other provinces. So the provinces of Manitoba and Saskatchewan were really the leaders in this area and had legislated better protections for migrant workers. We continued to work with the minister and his staff, and in October, new legislation was tabled in Parliament in BC, and it actually got royal assent on November 8th, and so we were very, very pleased about that. Every step of the way, we had migrant workers at the forefront advocating for this law. We always ensure that their voices are at the centre of any kind of advocacy work that we do. Talk more about the kinds of injustices that migrant workers face in the recruitment process. Migrant workers face a lot of unfair treatment in their recruitment to Canada. They are often charged high recruitment fees, but they are also often subject to fraud in their recruitment. So they're recruited for jobs that actually don't exist or for jobs that are very different from what is stated in their contract and in the labor market impact assessment, which is the document that employers must receive from Employment Social Development Canada in order to get authorization to hire a foreign national instead of a permanent resident or Canadian citizen. I'm currently dealing with a case involving a high number of workers who were recruited to work on a farm in BC. And when they arrived, they were brought to a house and they were told that there was no work for them. So they have a work permit that ties them to one employer. They paid recruitment fees to get that job. And now they have no ability to earn any kind of income in Canada. And if they want to find a new employer, it can take upwards of six to eight to 10 months to go through the process of getting a brand new work permit to authorize them to work for a new employer. And so these individuals are really left in the lurch with no ability to pay back the loans that they had to take out in order to pay the recruitment fees. It's really despicable. And this happens all the time. What kinds of changes did the recent legislation in BC make? The Temporary Foreign Workers Protection Act in BC made a number of changes that will better protect migrant workers in their recruitment. So, for instance, now recruiters will have to be licensed in the province of BC in order to carry out recruitment activities, and they may have to pay a financial security at the time of their licensing. We are expecting to get more information about that financial security and what that will involve in the regulations, which are still in the works. They haven't yet been made publicly available. The idea is that if they pay a financial security and if it's found that a migrant worker has had their rights violated in some way under the law, they would be able to recover some of the funds that they paid for recruitment fees more easily. In addition, recruiters who are licensed will be responsible for the actions of all of the recruiters in the supply chain. So, for instance, what we often see is that, you know, a worker from, say, Mexico gets recruited to come to Canada through a partner recruiter in Mexico, pays that individual maybe $10,000 in cash for the job, no receipts, no paper trail whatsoever, and then comes to Canada, finds out that that recruitment fee is actually legal, but they have no way of going after the recruiter in Mexico. Mexico due to a lack of jurisdiction. And so now the recruiter partner in BC essentially can be responsible for any actions that anyone has taken in the supply chain for those individual migrant workers. And in addition, the law has increased the limitation period for people to get a remedy for the recruitment fees that they've paid to two years. 
currently the Employment Standards Act in British Columbia, which does legislate against the payment of fees for a job, has a limitation period of six months. This is often of little use to migrant workers who, you know, have often been in Canada for longer than six months by the time they want to file a complaint or have paid the recruitment fees six months before they even got to Canada. And so the two-year limitation period will allow a much higher number of migrant workers to try to recuperate the fees that they've paid. Talk about a recent example where an individual case that you've been involved in has played a role in efforts to change policy or law. Recently, we were involved in a case that was a judicial review of an employment standards case that involved two caregivers who were working for a caregiver agency that was placing them in private homes to provide elderly care. These caregivers were asked to work 24-hour shifts but they were only paid for eight hours of the 24-hour shifts. The caregiver agency made all kinds of arguments about how if the individuals who needed care had to pay for each hour of work, that it would cause a crisis in our healthcare system and that seniors would not be able to stay in their homes. The agency was arguing that the caregivers should not be subject to the Employment Standards Act in British Columbia, that they should not be subject to the rules about overtime wages. Currently, if an employee works more than eight hours in a day, they are supposed to earn time and a half for any hour that they work up to 12 hours and then double time after 12 hours of work. And the agency was saying that caregivers were not subject to the Employment Standards Act at all, that they didn't even have to be paid for each hour that they worked or even had to be paid minimum wage. And the thing is, is that the Employment Standards Act in British Columbia includes multiple classifications for domestic workers in our province that are subject to different exclusions from different protections under the Act. And so in this case, the agency was trying to argue that these caregivers just weren't subject to any protections whatsoever and that, you know, they could work a 24-hour shift and only be paid eight hours for their work. And so the caregivers challenged this. It did go all the way to the Supreme Court of British Columbia for a judicial review. We were representing them for that case because we thought it was an important case due to how it exposed the problematic nature of the different definitions for domestic work under the Employment Standards Act and regulations. Ultimately, we ended up settling the case. It was in the interest of the caregivers themselves to settle. However, the decisions that stand from the Employment Standards Tribunal are very illustrative and useful to look at in order to see exactly how domestic workers continue to be second-class workers in our country. And so that was one case that we then can use to illustrate the issues and advocate for better protections for domestic workers. What do you expect that the advocacy side of your work will look like in 2019? 2019 will be an important year for Migrant Workers Centre and for migrant workers generally. In BC, we're going to see the rollout of the new Temporary Foreign Worker Protection Act, including regulations that will be enacted in 2019. We expect that we will start assisting workers to be able to file complaints under that new act. And we're also very hopeful that the government will set aside enough resources for enforcement so that there will be a larger number of employment standards staff who can receive these complaints and process them in a timely manner, as well as doing proactive enforcement. In addition, we're going to see 
changes in 2019 with the caregiver program. There will be something that will replace the caregiver program. We're expecting to see something hopefully in early 2019 so that we can start making sure that caregivers are informed about what their options are going to be for applying for permanent residency. You have been listening to my interview with Natalie Drolet of the Migrant Workers Centre, BC. To learn more about their work, go to mwcbc.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.